I'm going to read today from Exodus 3, uh, verses 1 through 6. Um, I told Cheryl, I thought for picture purposes, I might bring a bush and put it on fire here. But she said that probably wouldn't be a good idea, and she doesn't like my ideas, so please continue to pray for Cheryl. <laughs> well, I, thought I, was, I thought it was pretty good, but anyway. Okay, this is uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he's afraid to look at God. That is the reading of the word. Thank you, Mike. You may be seated. As we've done every week here during our BBS series, we want to welcome you to Camp Community. And we're going to bring down the lights and we're going to get around the fire just for a second. And I'm going to take you into the Wayback Machine. The Wayback Machine has a lot of nice, cool VBS songs in it. And this VBS song goes this way. You probably will remember it. I love him better every D-A-Y. I love him better every D-A-Y. Close by his S-I-D-E. I will A-B-I-D-E. I love him better every D-A-Y. Very good. You know the song. Okay, here we go. So D's over here, A's in the middle, Y's over here. All right? Here we go. I love him better every D-A-Y. Man, you guys were on top of things. Like, first service, I had to really, like, come on, D, you know. But kudos. I love him better every Close by his S-I-D-E, I will A-B-I-D-E, I love him better every D-A-Y. All right, now it gets tough. I love him better every D-A-Y. Good job. I love him better every D-A-Y. Oh, that wasn't, I, I didn't do that right. Uh, close by his S-I-D-E, I will A-B-I-D-E, I love him better every There, that was kind of backwards. Very good. Give yourselves a hand. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Exodus chapter 3 starts as an ordinary day. Moses is in the desert of Sinai. He's at his sheep lot, and he's shepherding. And the text gives us this idea that he was tending sheep, and it's a continuing action verb. It means that he was watching his sheep, and then he was watching his sheep some more, and he was watching his sheep some more, and he was watching his sheep some more, and you get where this is going. There's only one thing to do the next day. It's the same thing that I've done this day. It's to watch the sheep. So Moses is at a dead end. There's not a lot of advancement career-wise from shepherd. Uh, not a lot of upward mobility going on when You have spent so many years watching sheep. And so Moses is at a dead end, and that means, number one, he's stuck. He's stuck. Let me give you a thumbnail sketch of Moses' life to this point. He was, as a baby, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. 
And so that means he was in the Egyptian palace. He was brought up in, in, the, in the palace. He was raised as a part of the royal family, even though he was kind of an adopted part of it. He would have received a top-tier education. He was probably very likely a rising leader in the ranks of the Egyptians, and he knew all the right people. He rubbed shoulders with all of the right people. And later in life, he will discover that he's actually not an Egyptian. He's an Israelite. And that's significant because at that time, the Egyptians had oppressed the Israelite people. They were making them, they were forcing them to be their slaves and build all the stuff in Egypt and do all these kind of things. And Moses realizes, I'm not an Egyptian, I'm an Israelite. And so all of a sudden he realizes, man, I need to have empathy. These are my people. And he begins to want to help his people. And one day he's out and he, saw, he sees an Egyptian person beating an Israelite. And so in rage, he goes to the Egyptian person and he kills him. And so now the label of murderer is put on Moses. And Moses, at the age of 40, when this happens, has to flee into the desert for his life. He is an exiled prince who has now become an outlaw. And he goes out into the desert to escape his, uh, the people that want to bring him to justice. And so out in the desert, he finds a guy named Jethro. Jethro will end up being his father-in-law. And for 40 years, he spends time with Jethro. Jethro. He works for Jethro. He tends sheep. And so if you are putting two and two together or 40 and 40 together, you math nerds, how old is Moses in Exodus chapter 3? Anybody? 80. Thank you very much. Well done. 80. Moses is, man, think about an 80-year-old guy. His life is pretty much spent. He's in a forgotten part of the world, out in the middle of nowhere, desert, eking out a living as a shepherd. And he is not the kind of guy who we would think that God would come and tap on the shoulder and say, I've got great things in store for you. And so he's stuck. He's stuck. And that means, number two, that he's probably comfortable. His routine of shepherding is familiar, right? I get up. I pat my sheep. I make sure that their wool is still fluffy. I feed them a little bit. I make sure they still say, bah, and I go to bed. And I get up. And I pat the sheep and I make sure their fur is still fluffy, their wool, and I feed them a little bit and I make sure that they can say bad and I lead them to water. I do the same thing over and over and over and over. The routine is familiar. There's no surprises. It's steady. It's safe. It's stable. And all is good. And his, his life is comfortable. You could make a strong case that a comfortable life is actually the worst way to live. We could explore that for a while. I won't. Because every, every life has only two options. Whether it's a plant or a person. Whether it's a geranium sitting on your, the railing of your deck or whether it's you in the deck chair staring at your geranium. There's only two options for those life forms. Either they die or they grow. Either they die or they grow. The key to life is growth. We could say it this way. If you're going to grow, it's going to change. And that's the one thing that I want to leave you with today. I want you to walk out of here with this little line. If you're going to grow, it's going to change. Would you say it with me? If you're going to grow, it's going to change. In this comfortable life that Moses has, God shows up 
and his comfortable life is about to change. But it's going to change, and it's going to make him grow. So God shows up, and he doesn't show up in a normal fashion. He shows up in a bush, in a burning bush. Now, Moses is out, and he's in a very familiar territory, and he looks up, and he sees a bush that's burning. But that's not what draws his attention. That's not what piques his interest and says, oh, I need to move closer. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't know if out in the desert there are always spontaneously combusting bushes. I have no idea. But just a bush on fire didn't really get Moses' attention. The thing that got his attention was, wait a minute, that bush isn't being burned up. Maybe I should go and explore this a little more. And so a normal fire consumes the material it's burning into coal and ash, and it depends on its fuel source, and the fire is only as strong as the fuel. But that's not happening here. There's no consuming taking place. It doesn't need fuel. The The fire depends on nothing. It seems to have its own source. And so Moses says, this isn't normal and he goes to check it out and what we know that Moses does not at this point is that this is God inside the bush that is on fire and it is the very presence of God that's inside the bush and that's why it's not burning up we could say it this way I love this line the thing invested with God's divinity is not destroyed but eternally preserved isn't that true in your life Think about this last week. How many things did you do, did you invest in, that at the end of the day, they exhausted you? Just, they just drained the life out of you. Most things do that. Even the things that are supposed to renew us, sometimes just drain the life out of us. How many of you have had to take a vacation because you were on vacation last week? Right? It, it happens, right? Very few things in this life lead to renewal and energy and growth. But God always does. He is the fire that needs no fuel. He is the energy. He's the fuel of life. And I want you to hang on to that because that'll be an important picture just a little bit later. So Moses is out. He's tending his sheep and he's uh, drawn to this bush. And Moses is a believer. He believes in God. But now he's going to get an encounter with God. An encounter with the God who is in the fire. I want you to think about the last time that you were around a fire. Uh, maybe it was a campfire. Maybe you're camping somewhere. Put yourself in that place. Maybe it was a fire pit in your backyard and you and some friends are around it. Maybe it's uh, a bonfire out in the field and you and a bunch of people are having a good time out in the field with a big, big bonfire. Maybe it's just a fireplace in your living room. There's something about a fire, right? We could spend hours in front of a fire because it kind of pulls us in. It's just captivating. It, you, f- you see its brightness. You feel its heat. You smell the smoke. You hear the crackle. And that's where Moses is. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, you don't believe in fire. Fire is not something you have to believe in. Fire's something that you experience. And God is like that. Yes, we believe in God, but there is a real sense in which we have to experience God. And Moses is given this experience through fire and it produces life-changing encounter for him. And so out of this presence, out of this fire that is not consuming the bush, God speaks. And it's been four centuries 
since God has spoken. The last time he did, it was to Jacob. God's voice calls out and he says, Moses, he repeats his name, Moses. It's kind of personal, but it's not for a hug. Instead, he says, stop, come no closer. Why? Because where you're standing is holy ground. The word holy means to separate, to set apart. And that's what God is doing here. He's keeping Moses separated from his holiness. And it was a a preservation thing. Don't come any closer. Your life will be in danger if you come any closer. We would do the same thing if somebody was walking towards a cliff unknowingly and about to fall off. We would say, stop, don't go any closer. And that's what God is doing. And even this ground that Moses is on is made holy because God's presence shows up. Don't come near. Stop. The place you're on is holy ground. But on top of that, What you need to do is take your shoes off because that ground that you came from over there that's not holy, that doesn't have my holy presence, that ground you've carried into this ground that is holy. It does have my presence. And so you better remove your shoes. You have brought unclean dirt into a holy space. So take off your shoes and do it quickly. And presumably Moses did. And so God announces right off who he is. He says to Moses, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. And Moses, following cultural protocol, hides his face. And God says, here's why I'm breaking the silence after 400 years. Four things. Number one, I've seen the affliction of my people. Number two, I've seen the slavery that they're in. Number two, I've heard their cry because of their Egyptian oppressors. They've cried out to me and I have heard them. Number three, I know their sufferings. I know what they're going through. I know that this is hard for them. And number four, I have come down to deliver them and to bring them out. I want to stop right there. Even Moses who is an outside observer from a distance of time and space. He's not been a part of what's happening in Egypt for 40 years. And yet, he knows the oppression of God's people, the oppression of the Israelites. And for God to show up and say, this is why I'm showing up to you, because I've seen the affliction of my people, their cry, their sufferings, and I'm coming down to do do something about it. That's a God who isn't waiting for us to reach up to him. That's a God who cares for his people, who is coming down to rescue them when they can't rescue ourselves. And that is good news, even for a guy like Moses, who's pretty much divorced from that picture. That's got to be good news. And look at verse 10. The good news takes a turn. God says to Moses, I've come down because I'm going to do all of this delivering and leading and saving. And I'm going to lead my people out of Egypt. But the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to send you. You will bring my people out of their oppression. And Moses, I'm sure, is stumped. You see, it's one thing to hear of God's long-awaited deliverance. It's quite another thing to hear that the deliverer is you. Different things. Maybe you have a friend that you've been praying for. Maybe you have a spouse that you desperately want to come to Jesus. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your child that has 
gone off and you're praying that they will come back. Maybe it's your neighbor that you would just love to see a part of the family of God. And what if God said, showed up and said, I'm going to save them. I'm going to make that relationship right. I'm going to bring that child back. I'm going to do the things that you've been praying for. You would say, that's great news, God. That's awesome. I love to hear that. How is that going to happen? And God says, when you go. You see, it's one thing to hear of God's long-awaited deliverance. It's quite another thing to hear that the deliverer is you. Moses does not agree right away that he's deliverer material. Say it with me. If you're going to grow, it's going to change. We'll do it one more time. If you're going to grow, it's going to change. Moses here isn't thinking about growth. He's just thinking of excuses. And he gives God five of them. He says, hey, I like standing. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? God doesn't even mess with his question. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. You don't lack standing because I'm with you. Number two, he says, I lack knowledge. I don't know enough. If I go to the people and I say, who sent me? What is his name? What's the God's name that sent you? I don't even know that. God says, here's my name. I am and I will be with you. I am the God who always, always was always will be. I have no beginning, no end. I am absolutely uh, uncaused. No power of being has caused me because I am the source of all power in being. I am self-existent, self-sufficient, no beginning, no end. I am. That's that's a little confusing to us, that God's name would be, be that. But I want you to recall the fire because that's a great picture of what God is trying to explain to Moses. Remember the fire The fire that needs no fuel. As God reveals his name, it turns out that this fire is a perfect picture of who God is. His name is seen in the fire. The fire just is. And it always will be. It never consumes the bush. It never needs fuel. It never dwindles away. And like the fire, God has no beginning or end. He always is. He never will be or has been, but always is. He is the I am. He says, tell them that and you won't lack knowledge anymore. He said, he says, number three, wait a minute. I I don't have the credentials to go. My people won't believe me. I mean, when I tell them about this burning bush, come on. God says they will believe. And so here is an open unbelief and distrust by Moses. But despite this, God says, okay, if, if you need some help, I'll give you some signs. And he gives him some signs. He gives, God gives Moses the credentials. Number four, he says, I lack ability. I lack ability. I've got a fat lip, God. I can't speak too well. And by this time in the discussion, it's getting a little silly. It's not unlikely that we have Moses literally punching himself in the face and growing a fat lip and then pointing to it and saying, God, see, I can't talk because I got a fat lip. Moses would have grown up in the Egyptian palace. He would have had the finest education. And there's all likelihood that he would have been somebody who could stand in front of people and speak. It's possible that he had a stutter, but I guarantee he knew how to speak in front of people. He had been educated to do that. And he says, 
I can't do it. I lack ability. And God says, I made the tongue in your head. Don't you think I can direct it? And then number five, we get to the core of the issue for Moses. He just says, send somebody else. I don't want to do this. This isn't my, I'm comfortable where I am. I like petting my sheep and making sure the wool is fluffy and feeding them and leading them water and going to bed and getting up and doing the same thing. I'm comfortable, God. The only time God gets angry, it's really surprising in this discussion how much patience God has. But the only time God gets angry here is when Moses just flat out refuses to serve and to do what God asks him to do. Say it with me. If you're going to grow, it's going to change. What if I told you that God has come and he has spoken to us? It's been a long silence. But after centuries of silence, God came in the form of his son, in the form of a baby. And that son grew up and lived the righteous life that was sacrificed on our behalf. And he has come and he has offered that life to us so that we can be delivered from our sin. And now he is preparing a home for us. He's preparing to lead us into another land. You would say, man, that's good news. And it is good news. That's why we get together every Sunday morning. We kind of share that good news over and over and over and over again because that's what it's all about. That's why Jesus is so great. That's why he's worth following. But what if he said, you are the one to go and deliver other people by pointing them to the one who has spoken, Jesus? See, it's one thing to hear of God's long-awaited deliverance, but it's quite another thing to hear that the deliverer is you. And like Moses, most of us don't really agree with God that we are deliverer material. I don't have standing with people, God. I don't have the influence. I can't, I can't talk to people. I don't, I don't know enough. I, I don't know the Bible. I don't know about Jesus enough. If I did speak, they wouldn't listen to me. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know what my life is like. You don't know the stigma that I drag around with me. And all this talk of speaking, have you seen my fat lip? I, I, I don't do that too well. Finally, I just don't want to, God. God says the same to us as he says to Moses. The power to speak is not in you, it's in me. Speaking doesn't depend on how much you know, but it depends on me. It depends on my character and my essence, and I am good, and I am righteous, and I am faithful, and I am loving, and I am just. You don't have to be those things because I am. And it doesn't matter what they believe about you. It just matters what they believe about me. Stop looking at your shortcomings and your failures and your inabilities and instead see my fulfilled promises and what I have already done for you. And my only frustration with you at the end of the day will be an unwillingness to go because the outcomes are not up to you. The outcomes are up to me. Our excuses are always about us, why we can't save others and God takes them away. He says, you're right, you can't save others, only I can. You can't save others. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to go in my name and tell people, That I am the one who will save. Say it with me one more time. If you're going to grow, it's going to change. There's a great mystery here in this text. 
And the mystery is not why does the bush not burn up. That's not the mystery. We've kind of covered a little bit of that. The mystery is that Moses had to take his shoes off because he was standing on unholy ground. He had brought the unholy dirt into the holy space. And God says, stop, don't come any closer. You're on holy ground. And Moses takes his shoes off and he flings them so that they're not. But here's the thing. Moses still is on holy ground. Moses himself is already where he should not be. And on top of that, in his dialogue with God, he inexplicably counters and argues with God in this holy space that God has created. Here's the million-dollar mystery. Why was Moses not burned up? has nothing to do with the bush. Why was Moses not consumed? Moses himself writes in Exodus 33 that we can't look on God's face and live. Why did Moses live in Exodus chapter 3? On the mountain of Sinai, when God comes down, Moses tells the people, don't even touch the mountain or you will die because God's presence is on the mountain. Don't even touch it. Exodus 33, God says, my holy presence will kill you. There are other places in the Bible where this is clear. Why does Moses live in Exodus chapter 3? And there's a five-word phrase in verse 2. It's hiding in plain sight. It's so important that you almost surely miss it. Verse 2 says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Did you see it? What is it? It's the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. After verse 2, when you get down to verse 4, It's God who talks from out of the fire. Well, which is it? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it God himself? Answer, yes. There are places in the Bible where we encounter average angels, normal angels. And they will always say something like this. This is what the Lord says. But in the Old Testament, we get certain glimpses of the angel of the Lord. And when the angel of the Lord shows up, he's a different kind of being. When the angel of the Lord shows up and speaks, it is the Lord. And when the angel of the Lord shows up, there's mercy and there's blessing instead of consuming wrath and destruction. It's almost as if he mediates between Moses and God. Do you see where we're going? How can God come near to undeserving, complaining, disagreeing sinners like Moses in grace and not in destruction? One commentator put it this way. The angel of the Lord can only be appreciated when understood as the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? Isn't he the mediator between us and God? He lived the righteous, holy life that we could never live so that we can stand in God's presence and not be consumed. Isn't that what Jesus has done for us? In John chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, what name does he give himself? I am. Is he talking about how old he is? No, he's talking about who he is. When God revealed himself to Moses, he says, Say, I am sent you. And Jesus in John chapter chapter 8 says, I am 
It was Jesus claiming that I am God. And Moses isn't consumed because the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, the great I am, shows up in Exodus chapter 3 and makes it safe for Moses. So how can we, as flawed sinners, go out into the world and go boldly to people and say, there's a better life. There's a better way. There's a deliverer who has come from you, for you, and he wants to rescue you. How can we do that? We can do it because Jesus has made it safe. He went to a cross, and the fire of God no longer consumes us, but the fire of God lives in us. It gives us strength. It gives us life. It gives us energy. It gives us renewal. And we have become drenched with the divine presence that only gives life because of what Jesus has done. We become burning bushes filled with divinity because Jesus lives in us. And when other people pass by, they can't help but say, I have to see that. What's going on there? Say it one more time. If you're going to grow, it's going to change. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us, through Jesus, a right standing That we can come into your holy presence and not just live, but we can thrive. It is the life that you've always planned for us, but it's sin that keeps us from you. And Jesus has taken care of that sin. We thank you so much. We gather in his name today. And we just cry out once again how much we need him. How much his deliverance means. And how fortunate we are that he is preparing a place for us to be with you forever. Father, help us in every circumstance we find ourselves in to share that great news with other people. Help us to be the deliverer that you need us to be by pointing people to the only one who can truly deliver them, Jesus himself. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.